Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 21. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch of your souls, as those who will have an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that, may, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Good morning and happy 4th of July. Thank you so much for being with us today here in our sanctuary, and welcome to those of you watching us online. Um, it's especially great today to have our children with us. It's kind of a tradition for us that on July 4th weekend, we have our children from Noah's Ark and Kids Rock with us, and great to have you all with us in the service this morning. Thank you also, Jack Harrison, for reading our passage. And if you're wondering, Jack is the oldest child of Martin and Marie Harrison. And uh, thank you for reading for us today, Jack. Well, today, Sunday falls on July 4th. And um, I was reminded of a verse of scripture in the book of Psalms that speaks of blessing. You know, we've been talking about benedictions in Psalm 33 and verse 12 speaks a blessing over the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. With that in mind, I'd like to ask you to join me as we pray once again, particularly for God's great work in our nation. Would you join me as we pray? Father, as we are gathered today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we want to thank you once again for the freedoms we enjoy as a nation, and especially, Lord, for the freedom we have to gather and worship you and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But, Father, we also confess we have not used our freedoms as a nation Oftentimes, we have not used them in ways that honor you, but rather in ways that dishonor you. And we pray, Father, your, your forgiveness, please, and your mercy toward our nation. We pray that you would guide our leaders in making decisions that are in accord with your righteousness, your will, your ways, because you said that the heart of a king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Guide the hearts of our rulers, Lord. Father, we pray for your divine protection around those who serve our nation and military forces around the world, that you would bless them and keep them. And Father, today we do pray for those grieving in our nation, as Pastor West said. Particularly, we pray for those in Miami suffering horrible grief and shock and the recent tragedy there, that you would bring the comfort of the Holy Spirit and your peace. And Father, our prayer for our nation is that we would be a Psalm 33:12 nation, that we would be under your blessing because we would be a nation whose God is the Lord. 
And we ask this in your great, great name. Amen. Well, we are continuing in a series uh, this summer we've called Benediction. We're looking at the passages in Scripture that might be referred to as benedictions, places where there is a a blessing spoken over God's people. And uh, often that's written in the letters of the Apostle Paul in the Old Testament. It may have been spoken by Moses or King David. But we see value in studying these benedictions that are often overlooked because they reveal to us what God's will is for His people. Furthermore, they can guide us in our own prayers for ourselves and for others. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a really short one, and it's, it's one of the lesser-known benedictions in Scripture, and it really is just found in two verses. It's one long sentence, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. The subject and the source of the benediction is the God of peace. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, Jack read it a moment ago, I'll read it again, begins this way, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, and here's the, the, the blessing part, the benediction part, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to break down this one long sentence this morning and look more deeply into what God has prepared for us, how he might use these words in our lives. But first, I'd like to focus on the subject of the sentence, the God of peace. Peace is perhaps the most often mentioned benediction in Scripture. Probably the most frequently spoken benediction is the one you've heard here many times at the end of a service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His, what? Peace. On the screen, you'll just see a a few references in the writings of the New Testament in which God has taken to himself the title, the God of peace. God has chosen to be known by this title. Paul writes, may the God of peace be with you all. In Romans 16, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. In 2 Corinthians 13, the God of love and peace will be with you. And in the Book of 1 Thessalonians, at the very end, chapter 5, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, we we studied this one several weeks ago. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. And then in Philippians 4, 9, the God of peace will be with you all. Why has God decided to take to himself this way of revealing himself to his people? I'm the God of peace. Well, for one, because God has taken the steps to reconcile us to himself and give us peace with God. But furthermore, because peace is one of the great blessings and benedictions that he wants to give to his people. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by that because I often find in my life a a greater need to experience the peace of God. 
So the God of peace is the subject of the benediction we're looking at today. He's the subject of the benediction. He's the source of the benediction. The benediction flows from him. It comes from him. And what follows in Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, this one long sentence, is, is two uh, key emphases. First of all, the work of God through Jesus for us. Secondly, the work of God in us for Jesus' glory. Now let's start with part one. The work of God through Jesus for us. As you'll see in the slide on the screen, verse 20 reads again this way. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now let's stop there for a minute. Look carefully at that verse, verse 20. How has God described himself? He's the God of peace. And then are noted three things that God has done. He brought from the dead the Lord Jesus. He's made Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. And he's done this by the blood of the eternal covenant. Three short phrases emphasizing three very important things that the God of peace has done for us. I'd like to briefly look at each of these. Let's start with the third one. By the blood of the eternal covenant. What's a covenant? The simplest definition, I think, a covenant is an agreement between two or more people. Some of you live in a neighborhood where you have a neighborhood covenant. You're supposed to keep your, your yard up a certain way. In Scripture, God made covenants with people. God made covenants with Abraham. God made covenants with King David. But this eternal covenant, the writer of Hebrews talking about, is much, much more important than that and significant than that. Theologians refer to this as the covenant of redemption. And this is not an agreement where God does his part, I do my part, we meet in the middle, and if, if everything goes well enough on my part, well, I'll be saved. That's not it at all. Theologians understand the covenant of redemption this way, as an eternal covenant made between God the Father and God the Son concerning our salvation. In this covenant, Jesus Christ fulfilled all the conditions necessary for our salvation. We simply receive this by faith. And even that faith, the Apostle Paul says, is a gift of God, not as a result of our works. The God of peace has made peace for us with himself in this eternal covenant. You know, when we read about things like we read about this week in Miami, the collapse of that terrible building, that terrible, terrible tragedy, often people say, where is God in that? Where is God in that? Where, I've, I've heard that my whole life. You have too. Where is God in all the suffering of the world? And the answer to the question is, is simply this. God entered into the suffering of this world as a mere human baby. So he could bring about this eternal covenant of peace. The greatest demonstration of love that's ever been given is when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The great theologian J.I. Packer wrote it this way. 
The measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of his only son to be made man and to die for sins and to become the one mediator who can bring us to God. Jesus came to establish through his own blood this eternal covenant to bring us to God once and forever. Where's God in suffering? He's entered into it. He's redeemed us by his blood to deliver us, give us eternal life, free us from it. So the writer of Hebrews, we're still focusing on the God of peace and what he's done. He's established this eternal covenant by the blood of Jesus. He's also raised Jesus from the dead. The work of God through Jesus for us continues. You see it again in verse 20 on the screen. The God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that everything God has promised is in fact true. The Apostle Paul writes that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by the Holy Spirit by his resurrection. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, well, the Apostle Paul would say our faith is useless. But he has been raised from the dead. He's furnished proof. And because of that, if you've embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you need not fear death. The Apostle Paul says death has lost its sting because Jesus has provided eternal life. For every one of us, eventually, if Jesus doesn't return first, this life will end. But because of his resurrection, death for us will be stepping through a doorway into the very presence of God. The God of peace has established the eternal covenant by Jesus' blood. He's raised Jesus from the dead. And furthermore, Jesus now serves as the great shepherd of the sheep. We see this again in verse 20. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. I think that's one of my favorite titles for Jesus in the whole Bible. You ever wonder what Jesus is doing right now? Is he just sitting around in heaven doing nothing? I don't think so. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls or the bishop of our souls. You know, in the New Testament, sometimes an elder or a pastor is called an overseer or a bishop. And that means they're supposed to watch out for the spiritual well-being of God's people. We, we do that in the church, but we do it very imperfectly. But there is a shepherd, a bishop, an overseer. If you're a Christian, his eye is on you. His eye doesn't leave you. He's watching over you. He's your shepherd. He's the bishop of your soul. You ever think about that when you leave your house every day to go to work or go to school? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. So the work of God through Jesus for us is this. He's established this eternal covenant by Jesus' blood. He's furnished proof by raising Jesus from the dead. And Jesus today now lives and serves as the great shepherd of the sheep. 
And that's just the introduction of the benediction. That's just the first half of the sentence. Now, the work of God through Jesus for us. The benediction itself, as we get to that now, is the work of God in us for His glory. Verse 21. So let's look at the benediction itself now. This is what the writer of Hebrews is, is praying and is saying that God will do in His people. May He equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ and be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the God of peace is going to do two things in His people. Let's take them one at a time. The first one is this. He will equip you. He will equip you with everything good for doing His will. The word equip used here by the writer of Hebrews is, is a particularly important and interesting word. The Greek word is translated differently in different passages in the New Testament. In one passage in the Gospels, it's translated uh, mending when the disciples were mending their nets to make the nets stronger, more effective, more useful for fishing. In another place, it's used when the Apostle Paul writes about restoring a fallen brother. The word is used for restoring. In classical Greek language, the word means to, to set a bone that's been broken. So this word equip means to make whole, to make useful, to make complete for God's purposes. The benediction is this. May God equip you with everything, everything good that you need to do His will. So how does He do that? How does He do that? Any of you kids, how many, any kids in here from Kids Rock this morning? I see a number of kids with us today. How many of you kids are from Noah's Ark or Kids Rock today? I see a few hands waving around here. Any of you have any ideas, how does God help us do His will? Anybody have any ideas? What does God give us to help us do His will? Go ahead and shout it out. All right, I couldn't quite hear the answer, but let me, let me just guess at what some might be saying. Some might be saying He gives us parents, teachers, People like Miss Marie, he gives us the church where we're told to not forsake our gathering together, but encourage one another increasingly as we see the day approaching. He also gives us his word, the Bible, the scripture. I read a biography uh, last week, several days ago, about a missionary named David Livingston. David Livingston uh, one of the probably best-known missionaries in the last 150 years or so, and probably the best missionary ever to come from Scotland. David Livingston lived in the 1800s. He, he died when he was 60, lived 1813 to 1873. And uh, David Livingston went out from Scotland to Africa. He had a passionate calling to go to Africa, and he loved the people of Africa, and he spent 30 years of his life there he died there. And uh, he had two passions. One was to share the gospel of Jesus with the people of Africa. And 
two was to see the abolishing of the slave trade, his two great passions. So the African people loved him, loved him dearly. In reading about his life, here's what I learned about David Livingston. He had a wonderful foundation laid for his work when he was just a child. Do you know that when David Livingston was nine years old, he memorized one of the Psalms in the Bible? Some of you kids probably memorized verses. I know you memorized verses in Kids Rock. But he memorized a very long psalm. The psalm he memorized was Psalm 119. Yes. You, yes. Okay, the adults are all saying, whoa, now. That's because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, longer than many books of the Bible. It's 176 verses. Yes, it's a long one. Nine-year-olds can memorize and David Livingston, at nine years old, memorized the 119th Psalm. That's God equipping him at nine years old to do some of the greatest missionary work that's been recorded in the last few hundred years. Kids, if there is anything I can ever recommend for you, it is to memorize Scripture when you are young. And parents, I'm going to quote Pastor Andrew Wilde when it comes to this. Put your money where your values are. Don't be ashamed to pay your kids for memorizing Scripture. <laughs> Beth and I, I, I tell you, the greatest $100 we may have ever spent in our life was when our son Matthew was in fifth grade. And he needed some money for something. I can't remember what it was for. He needed to raise money for something. And um, I, I don't think I thought he would or could actually do this, but um, I, I might have been tight trying to memorize this part of Scripture myself. But we told him, we'll give you, we, we knew he could memorize Scripture. He was, he was quite good at it. Uh, so he's in fifth grade. I think it was about 11. We said, we'll give you $100 if you memorize the book of James. Uh, not a verse not a chapter, but the book. Five chapters is about 100 verses. And one of my fondest memories of his childhood was walking out of the garage one night and seeing him as an 11-year-old riding his little scooter down the driveway at dusk and uh, watching him. And he looked like he was talking to himself. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going over James. And uh, that kid memorized the book of James almost perfectly. Perfectly enough to give him the 100 bucks at least. But in, 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 in retrospect, I'm so glad. I, I, I've seen the, the results of, of that discipline years later in his life. So kids, if you're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, you can memorize the Word of God. In fact, a lot of older adults here will say it's a lot easier at that age than it is later in life. But it, all of us should be doing this. I, I continue to memorize Scripture myself, and I recommend this strongly to you. How does God equip us to do His will? We have the great gift of His Word that equips us. It's like the mending of a bone or the cleaning of a net or restoring someone. God uses His Word to enable us, to strengthen us. He pours strength into us to enable us to do His will by giving us His Word. 
The work of God in us for His glory is to equip you with everything good for doing His will. And secondly, the second part is this, working in us what is pleasing in His sight. May He not only equip you with everything good you may do His will, the benediction, the blessing is this, working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. How does God work in us? How does He work in us what's pleasing in His sight? He does that by His Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And your life with Jesus is to be so close that Jesus compared it to a vine and branches. He said, I am the vine and you're the branches. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we're to live this way. We're to live in fellowship with him, friendship with him, dependence on him. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to equip you with everything good for doing his will. And he wants to work in you the things that are pleasing in his sight so that through those things, your Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who bought you with his blood, will get glory forever and ever and ever. Now, what is God going to do in you? What's pleasing in his sight? Well, the writer of Hebrews mentioned two things just a little bit prior to this. I want to back up because Jack read those for us a moment ago. Before we got to the benediction, the writer of Hebrews said this, through him, that is through Christ, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are what? They're pleasing to God. What's pleasing to God? Well, among other things, two sacrifices given right here. Praising God, that's one of the sacrifices the Holy Spirit's going to call you to, to bring to God your praise. And the other is sharing, generosity, using the things God gives you in life to help other people. And the writer of Hebrews says, these are two of the things he's going to be doing in you. They're pleasing to God. So let's try to recap this little benediction for a moment. It's only one long sentence found in Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. It's broken into two parts. The work that God has done through Jesus for us, and then the work that God's going to do in us for Jesus' glory. And that includes equipping us with everything good for doing His will, and working in us what's pleasing in His sight. So let me just ask a few questions by way of personal application before we close. Number one, ask yourself this question. Do I know God as the God of peace? Do you have an assured relationship with Him? And secondly, am I walking through life with Jesus as my shepherd? the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd and bishop of my soul, my living under his care and guidance. And then thirdly, am I trusting him, trusting him 
to equip me and enable me to do His will. Yes, you can fulfill God's will for your life. Your life as a Christian does not have to be mediocre. Jesus said your life can be one that gives glory to God by bearing much fruit. That's His will for you. So this is the benediction. May the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, we will always give you thanks for the blood of the eternal covenant, for the resurrection of Jesus, for his role as our great shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. Lord, let us now by faith embrace your benediction. Embrace the work of your word and the work of your spirit. Equip us with everything good to do your will and work in us what is pleasing in your sight. And Father, I pray this morning for anyone here who has never embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord, that this would be the day you'd bring that person to the light of the knowledge of your saving grace. And Father, I want to pray for any Christian here who feels distant from you or distant from your people, that today would be a day when you would remind that one of the great price you prayed, paid for him or for her, that you would draw that one close in your love and rekindle and renew the joy of that person's salvation. And we pray in your great, great name. Amen.